0: Well, we are, we're going to look at um, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to look at John chapter 3 this morning, where Jesus interacts with Nicodemus, and then next Sunday we're going to look at how when Jesus interacts with a Samaritan woman. Uh, and then we're going to go through the, uh, the high priestly prayer in John 17, that'll be June. But I wanted to look at these two passages, especially as we are Uh, hopefully looking at what it means to live amongst people who believe differently and may have never heard the gospel and the claims of Jesus. And so we're going to look at these two stories where Jesus himself proclaims who he is to Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. And I think this is a great time as summer comes to think more and more about our neighborhood and if you've been around our church for years, this was a topic of a lot of conversation in the beginning as a core group. This is um, where I really feel like, as a person, God places us in a neighborhood and He places us with those neighbors, even when we have neighbors that aren't too friendly. I uh, remember one house when we first moved here, we lived there for six months and. Uh, we, there was a neighbor woman who would go walking every morning and on trash day, I'd take the trash out and I'd put it on the sidewalk and I didn't think anything about it. And I saw her one Sunday, she caught my eye when I was inside and she walked up to the trash like this and just went, oh, like visibly wanting us to know that was unacceptable to have the trash can there. And she walked around it, and it happened again, and I realized, well, I'll just put it in the street. Um, but we all have neighbors that sometimes are hard to live with. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was 16, probably maybe 17, extremely wise, handsome. <laughs> and and uh, I was at a friend's house, and he, was, he mowed yards for a living, made a whole bunch of money, bought a brand-new car. Okay, so he loved brand-new, perfect things. Yard was the same way, and they lived on a hill, and driveways were sort of cut out on this hill. It wasn't too steep of a hill, but I remember uh, leaving his house one day, talking to him, and, and I left. Instead of backing out the driveway and going down the street, I just turned right, and I drove down his street on everyone's yard. I know, horrible <laughs> horrible thing. So every yard, where there was like a dip, there was like a chunk out or a bumper took chunks out. So I was not a good neighbor uh, then. We all do stupid things. Don't do that if you're a kid. Not smart. Don't ruin anyone else's property. Blah, blah, blah. A lot you need to know. Anyway, um, but uh, so Jesus has this interaction with Nicodemus. You like the transition? <laughs> really wasn't any. (laughs) It wasn't really smooth. And Jesus. Uh, In John chapter 3, he has this interaction with Nicodemus. And he, Jesus is wonderful at asking questions. And in this situation, it's not as much the questions that he asks, it's the conversation that he stops. Nicodemus was a very confident man in his education and wisdom. And he came to Jesus, and he was probably like you and I, where we go to talk to someone, especially someone that's Jesus, like bright and has a huge following. We go over it in our head. How is this conversation going to go? And so Nicodemus goes and probably has it all planned out. And, at, and Nicodemus makes a comment, and then Jesus stops him and goes a completely different direction in this conversation. So let me read chapter 3 of the book of John. I'll read verse through verse 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, for it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? What Jesus does in this interaction is he immediately uh, with Nicodemus is he points out or he leads Nicodemus to confusion. This is a really bright man who comes very confident and Jesus leads him to confusion. Uh, If we think of confusion or doubt or um, wondering, sometimes we think those are bad things and you have to stay away from those. Uh, this is a really healthy thing in Nicodemus' life. And It's a healthy thing, no matter who you are, to, to think through your life. If you believe something, why do you believe that? Where does that come from? You value something. Why do you value that thing? Where does that come from? And maybe this is a good step for some of you this morning, that you are confident that God holds no place in your view of the world. You are like Nicodemus. You are, you are confident. You don't need anything from Jesus. Maybe a good healthy step for you might be some doubt. To enter into some confusion. Like Jesus leads Nicodemus through. Would you be willing to investigate the claims of Jesus? To enter into the, maybe some confusion and doubt about how you inter- interpret the world? So who is this Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee. He is a rigorous supplier of the law of God in all areas of life. If you uh, think of the most religious person you know, uh, Nicodemus was far beyond that. Nicodemus probably had the majority of the Old Testament memorized. He strictly adhered to the law of God. He was a ruler of the Jews. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a teacher of the law of God. He knew the law of God. He knew the Old Testament. To know more, to be confident in your knowledge, this is exactly what Jesus confronts in Nicodemus. If the goal of life was to be respectable, was to gain knowledge, was to be highly educated, was to uh, attain a social status, was to be a morally good person, Jesus would have affirmed Nicodemus. Uh, There are so many people that have this belief that Christianity is really being a good person, somehow equated with a good American. If there's anywhere in the Bible that if that was true about Christianity, anywhere in the Bible, Jesus would have looked at Nicodemus and said, You've got it. And then he would have went on to the Samaritan woman who's had several husbands and is really living an immoral life. But what Jesus sees in Nicodemus is Nicodemus is just as immoral as the Samaritan woman. And he confronts Nicodemus in his confidence. I think this is really significant. Anywhere in the Bible... If if Christianity was about being a good person, Jesus would have said to Nicodemus, you're the man. Be like Nicodemus. But he doesn't. He confronts him, and he points him in a completely different direction and strips him of this confidence. Strips him of the conversation he was ready to have with Jesus as he calls him rabbi, good teacher, God must be with you, you guys, God's with me and God's with you, we're uh, we're similar, we're the same. Now let's talk about religious things. Nicodemus comes in the night. Uh, Throughout the gospel of John and in 1 John, uh, the imagery of dark and light are used. Darkness would describe like evil, something you want to hide in secret, and light would describe something good. Nicodemus comes at night. Probably also because to come to Jesus during the day, if you were a member of the Sanhedrin and a Pharisee, people would notice something's going on with this religious man. And Jesus leads Nicodemus from confidence to confusion. From I know to I don't think I get it. And this would have been a shock. This would have been a shock as Nicodemus, was re- as, Jesus, as Nicodemus was ready to talk to Jesus about religious things. Nicodemus was shocked that the level that he thought he had with God, Jesus simply says, no, you have nothing because you're not born from above. You're not born again. You have not been transformed Internally. Because what could Nicodemus claim? Education, wealth, family, lineage? Maybe you're not as um, out there as Nicodemus uh, was, but what do you claim? What are things you rest in that give you confidence that's not Jesus? What are things that you rest in in the presence of God that is not Jesus? Is it the idea that you, you, really your sins aren't really that bad? And as long as you know people are worse than you, then I think you're okay. Jesus says you must be born again. Because without it, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nothing you have acquired in this life will, be, will help you in the next. You have to be remade by God himself. You have to be born again, which is also translated born from above. Something external has to transform you internally. Because if it was just uh, being strong in your morality, Jesus would not have confronted Nicodemus. There's something else. And it's the thing that is significant. Nicodemus takes this as re-entering the womb, a physical birth, which really is what any of us would assume at that moment. Like born again? I don't get that. It doesn't make any sense. That is not possible. And then Jesus goes and explains, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You need to be born from above. What we have here in uh, this plain narrative is that the physical birth cannot create this spiritual renewal. We don't have anything in us naturally as human beings that we can stretch and say, now I'm connected to the God of the universe because I've moved from physical to spiritual, Jesus says, no, you cannot do that, because you cannot make yourself born. And then he brings up the illustration of the wind. Uh, You know, we don't see the wind. We see the wind blowing on things, but the wind moves and goes where it may. We have no control over that. The truest description of this change is a new birth, No person is the author of their own existence. You did not get here this morning uh, because years ago, before you were born, you willed to be born. Just like no dead person can give themselves life. But this conversation did not go as Nicodemus thought it would. Nicodemus probably expected Jesus to say, You're doing really well, Nicodemus. Doing really well. Stick with it. I have other people who are really bad I have to confront. But Jesus says, no, Nicodemus, you don't get it. He says, you're hiding in religion. You're hiding in your uh, education and what you've memorized in a high moral standard. You're hiding in that because you don't want to deal with your heart. Jesus wants to deal with our heart. And he wants us to be renewed and transformed and born from above. So as you're here this morning, if you you can say that you are a child of God because you trust in the Lord Jesus, uh, this is an encouragement to you that uh, that uh, is true not because you're smarter than anyone else, not because you are born in a certain country, not because uh, you're better looking or you try really hard at things. Uh, You are a child of God because God chose you before the foundation of the world. So there's no arrogance in being a child of God. What you need is to receive from God And not attempt to achieve. God is the one who initiates your relationship with him. So why is this important? It is really important. Especially if we're going to be on the mission of God. And go into all the world. And preach the gospel. If we're going to proclaim the message of Jesus. This is vitally important. To know. What is the work of God in salvation, and what are you and I called to do? We cannot transform someone. That is the work of God. What the amazing thing is, is that God is already working in your neighborhood. Are you attuned? Do you know what God is doing in your neighborhood? Do you know your neighbors enough to see the doors that God is opening in their life? Are you able to see the hunger for spiritual things that God is creating in them? It says here, and this is one of the confusing parts of this passage. Um, in verse 5, it says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. And uh, that's a little confusing. Our thoughts immediately go to, well, that means you have to be physically born, and then you become spiritually born. Born of the water, born of the Spirit. Or some people say, well, this has to do with salvation, or this has to do with baptism, where you have to be baptized, that's born of the water, and then you have born of the Spirit, and they are connected and tied together. Uh, Well, a better understanding is to see that Jesus is talking to a man who's memorized the majority of the Old Testament. So where is water and Spirit mentioned that help explain this context? Well, it's in your assurance of pardon after our confession of sin. Ezekiel 36, it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Water and spirit refer to two aspects of your newness in Christ. They're describing the same thing. Cleansing and new birth. You have to be born of the water and the spirit. Cleansed and new birth, same thing, different aspects of this change. So what we see here is the supernatural work of God in salvation. We cannot cause this cleansing of new birth. Ezekiel Ezekiel shows this, uh, who cleanses and who gives birth. Who does it? God does. Being given a righteousness, righteousness that is not your own, being cleansed from above, being made into a new creation, this is the work of God. So, one question might be how do you know that you uh, have been made new? Uh, you know, if you think of Nicodemus, well, how do you know that you're a Pharisee? How do you know you're a Sadducee? You would have these things that you would have to do and accomplish so other people would recognize, yes, he's passed all these exams. That is who he is. How do you know you're a child of God? How do you know that that transformation has taken place within you? 1 John answers this. Someone born from above believes that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, the only Son of God. There's a conviction of sin, and there's repentance in your life. There's a pursuit of righteousness, and there's love for your neighbors. Now, it's not choose the best three out of four. It is, these are part of what it means to be transformed, uh, it does not mean, obviously, that we accomplish those perfectly, because there are times I don't like my neighbors, and I'm convicted of that, and I realize, OK, God needs to change my heart. Do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there a conviction of sin, and are you drawn to repentance? Is there a pursuit of holiness? And is there a love for your neighbors? This is what it means to be transformed. This, this is a part of your life, and of my life. And this is why we need a community of believers because I need you to remind me that this is what it is. And we need each other. So the calling of the Christian, if you're here and you trust in Jesus, your calling is not to transform someone because all you will do is you will make them into a Nicodemus. You will make them into someone who is so proud of their morality and their good religious works. And there is no hope as you go in that direction. What we are called to do is proclaim and promote who Jesus is. And, you know, if you're a Christian, we will probably all nod, like, yeah, that's great. And then what happens? We're done, we sing, blah, blah, blah. All right, shake hands, have some coffee. We leave, totally forget about what we're called to do, okay? So I gave you a handout this morning, okay? It's not a task, but if you leave and think, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I've been transformed as a Christian. What do I embody? Who do I move toward? It's written out, I made it up. I stole a lot of it from other pages like that. Uh, It's real simple, but it's really hard, and that is the challenge because we do not want to do things that are hard. We want to live the comfortable Christian life where no one's in my business and no one's in your business, and everyone who comes in is acceptable to us right off the bat, and that's the life we want to live. That is not the life that we are called to as Christians. And I encourage you to pray as a family with your friends to figure out what is the next step that you would take to love the people around you. And again, you're not earning salvation by doing this. Salvation is a gift of God. You can't earn it. But what you're doing is, one, you will grow in your faith. If you're here and you say, "Like, like me, I've said many times in my life, just tired of reading the Bible. It just stops being exciting. I feel like I've read it and I know the stories and I can just sort of skip along. Uh, read the Bible with a non Christian. Read the Bible with someone who has a different view of the world than you do. It is quite amazing the challenges that will come up in your own mind and the way God will stretch you and the way you will grow in your faith. So what are, the t- what are the tools that we have as uh, children of God? Uh, what are the tools that we have to engage the people around us, to friend them, to love on them, to care for them, and to pray that God will transform them? Well, I gave one away. Okay, prayer. I gave it away. Pray. Pray for your neighbors. If you know their names, that sure does help to pray for them, because then you're praying for specific neighbors. Build a relationship with them. Ask them questions about their life. Why do they live in that neighborhood? How long have they lived there? What do they love to do? What are their hobbies? Does their family live around them? You know, you've gone through all that small talk, and maybe you're not a small talk person. Ask them what they fear. Ask them what they fear in your neighborhood. Lately, people have broken into cars in our neighborhood. So that's an open door to talk to my neighbors about what they fear. People have rummaged through our cars. They're stealing stuff. Someone shot through the window of a neighbor's house to steal a purse off the table. What scares you? Being my neighbor. (laughs) Never mind. I didn't mean it that way. Okay. Pray, relationship, and God's word. That's what it is. Pray for your neighbors. Build a relationship with your neighbors. See if they want to read the Bible with you. And see what happens. So what does success look like as, uh, as Christians? We're trying to engage our neighbors. It's not that all these people are coming to Christ and you have a huge Bible study in your house. That's not what we're aiming for. What we're aiming for is just faithfulness. Because you might share the gospel with all your neighbors. And so they all move away. And as they move, that's when God works in their heart and draws them. So success really is just faithfulness. How do you faithfully live out what is true? Nicodemus was a man who was proud of what he knew and accomplished. And Jesus points out his ignorance of eternal truths points out uh, a world that Nicodemus is not the ruler of where he says Nicodemus the ruler of the Jews Jesus tells them about a world that Nicodemus is not the ruler of and Jesus deals with Nicodemus as he was a man confident in his knowledge Next week, we'll look at Jesus and the Samaritan woman. These are really interesting stories to read back to back because you have, you have Nicodemus who uses confidence to avoid condemnation. Confidence in his religious activities and knowledge to avoid condemnation. The Samaritan woman avoids things religious. Multiple husbands. She's avoiding things religious because she doesn't want to feel condemned. And Jesus, here in this passage, makes it very clear. The only way to not be condemned is to be in Christ. To trust in Jesus, repent of your sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus confronts Nicodemus and deals with him Leads him to a life where condemnation does not exist. Nicodemus shows up one more time in the Bible, in uh, the Gospel of John. When Joseph of Arimathea goes and gets the body of Jesus from Pilate, Nicodemus is there. And he brings myrrh and aloe and he treats the body of Jesus with Joseph of Arimathea. Nicodemus was transformed. As this passage ends, we have the most popular verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, they gave his only Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The most, one of the most uh, condensed, uh, v- uh, condensed verse that is the gospel. Jesus died for your sin. And he set you free. And this is what we need to be reminded of. Uh, the gift of God's love. And that in this gift, we are kept and we are held as his. And we cannot attain this status. It is only received by grace and through faith and this is also the message that we are to proclaim so what does it look like for you to trust in God's love and care and provision in Christ what does it look for you to look like for you to do that and to live in your neighborhood what does that look like Let's take a moment to pray. And as we pray, we will prepare our hearts to come and receive of this meal of communion this morning. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called a people to yourself. We thank you. It is because of your great love that you have extended salvation and you awaken dead hearts. You give life, you cleanse, and you give peace. And we pray that you would increase our faith, that we would understand what we have been saved out of and what we have been saved toward. Thank you for your goodness, and we pray as we go to this meal to be spiritually nourished that you would nourish us this morning together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.